everybody, Mark here, and thanks so much for joining us for this week's Menlo Midweek Podcast. We're kicking off week two of Wired for Wonder with our lead pastor, Phil Eubank, discussing hurry and worry and diving deeper into the book of Habakkuk. Uh, thanks so much uh, if you partnered along with us earlier this week and took some time to reflect on the life's work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and so we kick off our episode today by sharing and giving some more space to that and continuing the conversation around equality and justice, uh, as well as dive in deeper on hurry and worry later in the podcast and get to some of your questions that you either wrote in in person or texted it in about your big picture questions of faith and God. And so thank you so much for those that have participated along with us in that exercise. Again, we are going to encourage us from now on to for you all to write in your questions and we'll get to as many as we can on these episodes of the podcast. Uh, before you go, I will want you, if you are a parent or a caregiver, or if you think this would be helpful for a parent or caregiver that you know, to join us this Saturday for our parents seminar. We've brought in a, a lot of professionals, both therapists and others to help us get the tools to help the kids in our lives navigate their mental health, anxiety, depression, neurodivergence, and just what it means to be a kid, student, teenager in today's society. So we'd love for you to join us for that. You can register at menlo.church and this is for, uh, this is to equip parents of, of the students of all ages and kids of all ages from zero to 18. So uh, space is limited. We'll want you to sign up for that. And if you're newer to our community, make sure that you put on your calendar for this weekend for Discover Menlo. We'll give some more space to that at the end of the episode today. So now let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome everybody to the Menlo Midweek Podcast. My name is Mark. And I'm Phil. And Phil's with us today. How exciting. I couldn't do it as smooth as Jess does it, but you know, I thought... It's pretty good. You know, I do my best. It's pretty yep. good. Jess, we miss you. We love you. She's on an airplane, Excited everybody. To She's going to be back. Yep. She's going to see be back. you soon. Yep. So um, lots of travels this weekend with MLK. Um, and it was fun being in person with you at Mountain View. If I saw you this past weekend, hello again. Thank you for all of your encouragement, feedback, all of that. And I just love seeing... And hearing from those that are in person about things that we're doing online. Yeah. So it was a really fun weekend. Interact about online, offline, in person. Exactly. Boom. All those things. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Um, Phil, we uh, we have a short week this week as well because of MLK, and that's causing mm -hmm. you no stress at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> have, uh, we have a lot of irons in the fire right now. New Year would normally represent that, but then, yeah, we... Um, we, we've sort of pretty quickly made some decisions about uh, uh, trying to get all of our team to a conference yes. uh, this spring, which is going to be great, uh, but it's just got a little bit more on my plate right now. And then we're changing all of our staff rhythms uh, starting mm -hmm. next month, which mm -hmm. is going to be great, but also has some prep work. Uh, and then I'm preparing a pretty big uh, series for after Easter with some other local area pastors, and that's creating some more work. And then I'm working with a couple of our boards on some pretty big things. So uh, normally, like, one of those things would be like, oh, oh and then I have to preach this weekend. Um, <laughs> but, like, right now, it's kind of like, it's a, it's somewhere between whack-a-mole and keeping plates spinning. Yeah. It's somewhere in there. I had my, uh, I meet every month with a spiritual director, Mm -hmm. Which, if you don't know what a spiritual director is, that's just, it's kind of like a counselor, but they're trying to connect what you're going through personally to spiritual rhythms, practices, and experiences that are going to help you continue to abide in Jesus. And uh, it was a lot of like, hey, 
how about we just take some time to be still right now? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was good. I'm, I'm glad I had it. So anyway, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be in the thick of it in the new year. And um, uh-huh. for us, our travel is done for a little while. I'll go to a denominational okay. thing at the end of the month. But um, just to be able to put some miles down and getting things yeah. done, I, I appreciate that. Well, so. We appreciate all the work and the heavy lifting that you're doing now. Of course, man. Of course. Yeah. yeah. How about you? How is the new year starting for you? It's going. I feel like it's off to a good start already. Um, I was telling a few friends that I have trying to maintain some some good rhythms of what I started during the break. Sure. I think you at some point mentioned that New Year's resolution stuff is easier for you if you start it during that week off. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of. I think that we talked approach. about that in the like online pre-show mm-hmm. for like something in the. I remember having mm-hmm. this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I haven't externalized to a lot of people, and now the whole world can know if they want to, is starting my morning with a cold plunge. Oh, yeah. You've talked to me a little bit about this. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm pretty proud of doing it. Today was the first day that I had to get in. For our non-Joe Rogan listening crowd. (laughs) Classic. Would you explain what a cold plunge is? Yeah. Uh, it is cold water that you yeah yeah but cold water cold? immersion therapy. How, how? I, I don't put ice in it. Okay. I just leave it outside, and whatever the temperature it is oh, outside, okay. right. that's what it is. Yeah yeah. Um, that feels more reasonable. I yeah. envisioned you getting into like yeah water with ice in it, and I was like, that feels eventually. Yeah, that probably will happen. Insane. Um, okay. All right. And I've kind of gotten used to the fifties, like fifty okay. ish. But yeah, if yeah. it dips below that, like when it got kind of cold, yeah, you feel it. Weeks, oh yeah, yeah, big Ooh, difference. That sounds so, so terrible. But a full on ice bath, not so much. But it's a mixture of like there is some science. Who knows if it's good science or not? Sure. Um, that says it does a lot of good things for just like neurologically as well as um, since I'm doing doing a lot of training, muscle wise, recovery wise, it's been yeah, good. Yeah. But more so, just starting my day not looking at my phone. Yeah. Um, just going from upon waking up to trying to read the Bible, yeah. um, mm-hmm. through in a year. So following yeah, yeah. that plan, I started a new routine of that. Too. Did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yep. Yep. Um, so then those two will happen, and then it's just the game of how long is it going to take until totally. I jump in this oh, man. cold water. God bless you. That's yeah. amazing. Um, and you and I were on a bike ride yesterday too. We that we started with that. That's a fun, yeah, newish year thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was really yeah. fun. Yeah. I uh, had a good little ride around. It felt like we got to see all the peninsula, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we started were... in Menlo Park, went up towards Crystal Springs, cut mm-hmm. over to Burlingame, cut back down through all the towns in between. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, great. I literally like could see our San Mateo campus on yeah. our way back through. So, yeah. yeah pretty it was fun. really fun. Shout out, San Mateo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way to start the week without a lot of hurry and worry. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... It, I had to get up a little bit earlier to compensate, but uh, uh-huh. I was really glad I was able to do it. it <laughs> yeah, fun. someone said, is Phil working today? And I was uh, like, I, he probably is, uh, but we're not. So uh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, Monday holidays are really hard when you have to teach the next week because, yeah. you know, turns out they're only mm-hmm. seven days in a week. So Definitely. But yeah, I uh, I got a little bit of downtime here and there. It's great. Good. Well, I would like to give some space to MLK. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about it in a way that makes light of a very heavy thing, For sure. which is great. We get the day off. Right, but right. Why do we get the day off? Why are we celebrating this? Why is it still important? And why why is this something that we're focusing our communities around this week? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are these holidays that we celebrate as a nation that should be really uniting holidays. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it says a lot about the spot that we're in right now as a culture that even the days that should be the most uniting mm -hmm. can still be dividing. We still find wow. a way to yeah. live in the extremes. And so at the core of it, right, we celebrate uh, the man and the movement of civil rights, uh, racial equality, f that, that Martin Luther King Jr. was clearly someone who gave his life mm -hmm. uh, to be able to advance the cause of. And uh, really by every measure, if you were to look at the impact of his life and leadership, you would say, wow, God used him in amazing ways to bring about significant progress since his lifetime. Um, and I think that's true, although there are going to be some people that say, oh, no, that's not true on either extreme. And it's also true, like two things, we have to hold two truths in tension. Mm -hmm. It's also true that there is significant work in the space of prejudice and racism uh, that we still have yet to accomplish uh, because our nation is not a monolith. It's not mm -hmm. just how is this working in this town, in this city, in this state, in this area. It's the small little cracks and crevices, the things everywhere, the individual conversations, the multi-generational nature of it, uh, the systems and structures to be able to say, hey, the, the work that God used MLK Jr. to deliver, mm -hmm. what does it look like for me uh, to work in my own life, to A, understand the legacy of civil rights in our nation, and then at the same time to advocate for the continued work that is necessary, and not just like at a big, what should I vote for, although you should vote your conscience and be thoughtful about that, informed by mm -hmm. your faith, but also just in conversations, you know, as you're talking with people and they say something that you're like, oh man, what, like, what is that revealing about me? What is that revealing about them? I could just avoid it. I could just ignore that, or I could dive deeper into it. And I think as we become more self-aware people individually and in our community, I hope days like this can be days where we can celebrate successes um, and continue to pray for and fight for progress in our lives. And if you go, that feels complicated. Yeah, it's way, it's way complicated. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier uh, to just sort of lean into one of the extremes and to abandon all nuance. Um, and I just don't, if you're wondering, like, how's that working? Just look at our culture overall. Abandoning nuance for polarization is not helping us. And so we shouldn't reflect that same approach in our own individual mm -hmm. choices. Yeah. And I'm glad that you gave space in the beginning of your message this past weekend to talk about that. And to use, uh, I think, a philism that I've picked up on, the term to double-click. It seemed like you wanted to double-click that you said progress has been made. Right. Why, I, I might have caught that. Maybe, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe yeah. some other people could no, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, you know there are two main things that have really kind of, I would say, culturally grown roots for us. Uh, from academia, from probably three or four decades ago, becoming more and more prominent, and now they have really become inculcated in our popular culture. One is something called critical race theory, mm -hmm. and one that's really a substructure of critical race theory is something called intersectionality. The way that they were originally designed was to be tools in academia uh, to be able to assess, like, hey, what do cultural structures look like? Let's identify where within culture we still see the impacts. I mean, if you think about even just the age of America, if you think about the amount of time that really has not transpired since pretty massive, even legislative changes, legal changes mm -hmm. that have uh, tried to more and more even the playing field uh, across different socioeconomic and racial lines. Um, but what, it, what it's sort of done is 
be beyond the academic focus has been, I would say, this extreme view that really what we learn from critical race theory is that America is a um, irreversibly racist nation, irredeemable, can never be better, and we need to tear it all down. And that's not everyone that holds the view. I want to be very fair to that. Mm-hmm. But when we roll the clock back to the peak of kind of 2020 and the racial tensions that really got Florida uh, flared up around the murder of George Floyd, um, when we go back to that time, and you remember hearing people say, uh, defund the police, right? That was really sort of an ideological child of the idea of like, no progress has really been made. This is irredeemable CRT. And then out of that intersectionality is basically a scale by which or a system by which you would say um, absolute truth is uh, actually kind of a racist concept. Hmm. But what we really want to be thinking about is uh, what is your level of privilege, cultural privilege, which I think is actually something we should be aware of, uh, informs our bias. We all have bias. But within intersectionality, uh, let's say if you are a cisgendered, heterosexual, male, Christian, uh, Caucasian, like you would essentially be at the top of the pyramid in terms of privilege. And then therefore, what you say has really no bearing on reality. And then the uh, further that you can get into kind of the uh, more marginalized classes, the more weight your suffering brings to bear in what you say. Mm. And like I said, all things have things we can learn from them, and we should be aware. Like I said, these were these were academic constructs mm-hmm. uh, that really got brought into kind of our cultural moment. And I say all that to say that that ideology well, uh, nobody's really using the conversation of defund the police anymore. Most people didn't even really mean defund the police when they were saying that. Uh, But there is still this idea at times where we get to kind of MLK day to say, hey, if there's, if we acknowledge any progress has been made whatsoever, that's cultural, uh, or that's uh, uh, cultural appropriation, uh, that's toxic positivity, uh, what he's fought for, we haven't moved one inch on. I just don't think that's just not intellectually honest. Mm-hmm. It's also not intellectually honest to say, well, we fixed racism. And so I think living in this tension that we talk about often, I talked about it in the New Year's message, um, of holding the convictions of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus, I think that is still a challenge for us to do, even as we celebrate days like this. And and uh, there is, on the other side of sort of the hyper-progressive CRT intersectionality um, on the other side, you mm-hmm. have sort of white nationalism. I'm going to wrap my faith in the flag. Typically, it's going to be very conservative politics. And there are a whole bunch of really awful things that flow from that. Oftentimes, you hear the uh, racism is completely gone. So mm-hmm. if you are trying, uh, if you're trying to avoid difficult conversations in your faith by hiding behind political or ideological extremes in 2024. We are going to get lots of opportunities to do that in the next 12 months, but they will not serve you, they will not serve Jesus, and they will not serve the world well. Yeah. Probably a longer answer than you were looking for. No. I mean, there, the amount of, of conversation that we could have around this is endless. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think that was a great way to summarize that. And there is... All throughout that, a sense of, I think you named it, it's too big, I can't help. I need to remove myself from this completely in order to shield myself, my ego, whatever that looks like, and think that I'm not contributing or acting in a way that would perpetuate this or stop this, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you think. And then there's the other hand of that, where it's just like everything's always about this, 
and to find nuance in that, to bring it back to, um, to a way to be able to approach and have dialogue and to talk to people that might not share our same values or agree with us, but still give space for conversation and humanize the other side. Like that's all, it's all in this. And that's all comes back to like honest, honesty with ourselves, honesty with our dialect and honesty with, um, where God is calling us. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think if you are somebody that maybe MLK day for you has always just been kind of like a day you get off and you're not really sure how to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ministry that I think Menlo has been affiliated with in the past, but uh, just they, they have some great resources available. It's called Be the Bridge. Mm-hmm. You can find them at their website, bethebridge.com. And uh, there's you know resources that they're recommending and blogs that are available, even conferences that they host. Um, but I think, yeah, f- trying to understand, hey, the goal is not, uh, the, the goal of biblical Christianity is not how do we tear it all down. Mm-hmm. The goal of biblical tr- Christianity is unity. The goal of biblical Christianity is justice. The b- goal of biblical Christianity is how do we move through this together? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think every time we have a chance to be able to look around in our culture, look around at the calendar everybody's celebrating on a day like that, as followers of Jesus, I think we want to approach it hopefully thoughtfully, you mm-hmm. know, and go, oh, man. Uh, God thinks that we live at a time, thinks that we live in a place that has a day set aside for us to be able to think about and focus specifically yeah. on this. That's so good. Hopeful and also could be worrisome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so coming out of out of that and shifting gears a little bit towards where you took us this past weekend that centered on hurry and worry and really... Um, exploring this super honest dialogue that we're seeing with um the prophet there's a poll going around i'm not sure habakkuk yep that's it habakkuk not have a cook habakkuk can i tell you all a secret please no one knows yeah uh so when we um when we read uh when we read hebrew uh, this is the nerdiest thing I've maybe ever said on this podcast. You said some pretty nerdy I have, things. <laughs> I have said some pretty nerdy things. Um, when we read Hebrew today, uh, the way that we read it, uh, the only reason it's actually audible for us is because there are vowel pointings in the Hebrew. Uh, the entire uh, Hebrew text did not have vowel pointings until the Masoretes, a group of ancient scholars, added them for okay. readability. Got it. So uh, how Habakkuk... Uh, was originally pronounced. Just imagine that name without vowels. Um, we really don't know. Uh, the term Yahweh that we pronounce as sort of God's covenant name actually was written without vowels on purpose. Orthodox Jews still write it that way because it's supposed to be unpronounceable. Um, and so, yeah, anytime somebody's like, oh, this is this this Old Testament thing is really pronounced, you should really pronounce it this. They have no idea. There were no digital audio recorders. There were no streams available uh, we're taking good guesses. So Habakkuk, I would say just whatever you're going to say, just say it, say it confidently, be committed to it, and the Lord will he will give you grace. Hopefully honor that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Uh, well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's, that, will, that will settle a lot of debates hey, that we've been, that I'm, been going I'm here around. to help. Thank you, know? you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about his intersection with this dialogue, with hurry and worry is kind of what we centered our talk around. So could you run us through that, and then we'll dive in from there? Yeah, so... The framing of the book of Habakkuk is this back and forth between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk, we don't really know a ton about the circumstances 
Uh, like I can't, for other prophets, I can tell you this is, these are the years that they functioned as the prophet of Israel, uh, or prophet of God for Israel. Uh, here are the geopolitical consequences of that. Here are the kings that they served under. Uh, for Habakkuk, it just doesn't work that way. So we get some hints about where like it was after because he's referencing even in our passage from this last weekend, specific moments like the Egyptian exile yep. um, or e Egyptian um, deliverance from captivity. Uh, but then I think we have to s sort of hold it a little bit more open-handed to say, okay, so at a high-level principle, Habakkuk is looking around and saying to God, God, I'm, I work for you, and I'm having a hard time defending you. I, this is my whole thing, and I'm looking around and going like, Injustice is everywhere. There are problems everywhere. None of this feels like it's going to get fixed. God, when are you going to like raise up your people to deal with this? And God's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, it's actually way different than you think it is, and you couldn't process it if I told you. And Habakkuk's like, try me. I mean, this is Phil's paraphrase. Sure. And then uh, there's this back-and-forth conversation where God reveals uh, the other nations that he would use actually in military victory, even over Israel, uh, to be able to bring about a deeper fulfillment of his plan. And then Habakkuk is like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. And then God tells him a little bit more of the plan, and then Habakkuk's like, turns out you're God and I'm not. And so we, this last weekend, dipped into that last prayer from Habakkuk back to God, or really what could be a song. Somebody asked me mm. after this weekend the word Selah, when I read yeah. that in the scriptures, what does that mean? Um, that's actually, uh, you, sometimes you'll see it in the book of Psalms, which is a book of poetry. Um, you'll see it almost like a rest in a musical score. Uh, it just means pause. And so if you ever notice when I read Selah, usually I pause afterwards because that's what it is telling you to do as you read it. Um, and so we got to see um, Habakkuk hopefully reflect back kind of this vision that he'd been given from God, uh, be uh, absolutely shocked by how big and powerful God is, and uh, have a level of comfort, not because all the problems went away, not because of the like any of this wild stuff that God had revealed to him wasn't going to take place, but because he understood that in the biggest sense, in the biggest picture, God was in charge. He could trust him. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, uh, it was way, way better than trying to pretend to control it himself. Mm. So where is the intersection with um, with reading that and then taking it to today, applying it to Silicon Valley 2024? Yeah. Um, there's a, a connection that you made with hurry. So mm -hmm. how do we get from there and that not trusting in the future yep. of, hey, I need to know everything, to where we're at now, and why did you choose to bridge that gap? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of us, when we are looking for wonder in our everyday life, uh, I think the biggest obstacle to that is kind of this worry and hurry divide. I think mm -hmm. worry and hurry for most of us are very tight semantically. Mm -hmm. uh, Dallas Willard, he's got a, a quote that's like a famous one for him where he says, um, hurry is the greatest enemy to our spiritual formation. And uh, I think that oftentimes the hurry in our life is connected to the worry. Sometimes the hurry is driven by our worry, where we're like, I'm worried about this, so I have to go really fast to deal with it. I think other times, actually, the hurry is to cover up our worry. Like, yep. we're not even hurrying about stuff that we're worried about. We're just like, well, if I hurry at all of yep. this stuff, then it can kind of become this, like, frenetic noise of my life that allows me to avoid mm -hmm. the thing that I don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I think that you watch uh, Habakkuk discover a sense of wonder in God 
a sense of wonder in his power and in his plan, and then kind of just set down his worry. And, uh, and so I, you know, I used the line, uh, you'll not find wonder in your worry. Uh, and then yeah. at the end of the talk, I said, hey, the good news is just like um, wonder can't coexist with worry, like when you find it, the good news is um, it, if you actually pursue wonder in your life, it will, just like it did with Habakkuk, begin to push worry to a proper perspective in your life. And so um, I think it's kind of an object lesson that we get to see from Habakkuk, and then we choose whether or not we try to pursue the same thing in our own lives. I think what's interesting, too, as you're talking, um, it made me just think about how I've seen hurry in my life, and it is very similar to that, where it's just, it might not even be something that's, that warrants hurry. Right. It's just trying to put more things on my plate so I don't have to deal with the things I don't want to deal with. Right. Or it's put nothing on my plate and hurry away from sure. that sitting in that moment or dealing with that thing or having that hard conversation. And that doesn't even look like hurry at all, but it really the heart of it is the same same deal. Right. And I think that there are uh, lots of times where in my life, uh, hurry gets hurry shows up in the sense of like, where can I hurry and exert a sense of control mm. as a compensation for an area where I have no control, right? So... Mm -hmm. I'm overly controlling with one of my kids or I'm, you know, really detailed in something uh, at home personally, but really I'm compensating for some area I feel out of control at work. I think we probably all have that or maybe vice versa, right? Yep. At home, it feels completely out of control. And so at work, people are like, man, she is way over the top. <laughs> he is way over the top. And it actually has nothing to do with what's happening at work. And I think part of self-awareness is being able to look inward and say, okay, God, where is this worry and hurry complex coming from? And when is the last time that you stopped and said, God, I really do want to find a sense of wonder in you. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to find a sense of wonder, like we talked about this week, in your creation, because so much of what Habakkuk saw in his vision was God's sovereignty, his control over all of creation. So when we look at creation, I did this even when we were biking yesterday, you know, you kind of look mm -hmm. around and you're like... "Yep." Oh, all right. Yep. God, you got it. You know, like there's none of this that is going to surprise you. There's none of this that's out of your control. You're holding it together at the molecular molecular level and you're above and beyond all of it simultaneously. You are the alpha and the omega the at the beginning. You're existing at the beginning and existing at the end and existing outside of it all simultaneously. So whatever I face today, whatever obstacles or uh, problems I am thinking about or are coming up against, you have already been there. As a matter of fact, you are there right now. And so I can trust God that as I lean more into who he is and his love for me, I can trust that he's going to prepare me for what's coming. I talk about the two calendars, right? There's a calendar we know about and a calendar we don't know about, but God knows about both. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting too. You had a great wonder thought around the God being there at the beginning, now, and at the end around how Jesus called him a storm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So could you repeat that? And like... I, I had so many wondery thoughts, questions mm -hmm. after, after that. I thought that was great. Yeah, so, you know, that, that passage, um, uh, at the end of that passage where Habakkuk is, um, you know, talking to God, he's talking about these specific reference points, and he's saying to um, God, he's saying, like, were you mad at the river, at the <laughs> sea? You know, like, mm -hmm. because his power was being so manifested in these ways, in this vision, he's going... 
are you mad at it? You know, and God's putting it back to the way that it goes. There's some debate in scholarly world about exactly the vision that uh, Habakkuk was seeing, but he experienced this sense of wonder. And uh, and then I kind of bounced over to Jesus calming the storm in the uh, Gospel of Mark, and you know the the disciples. Uh, some of whom are professional fishermen, like they they have been doing this their entire lives. They have been in some sticky situations, and they don't... First of all, Jesus is sleeping, which I always wonder in the story, was Jesus really sleeping? Yeah. Like, was it, you know, one of these, like, where he's like, yeah. you know... Um, Just rested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think he probably Observing. was really sleeping. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but they go and they wake him up, and they don't say, hey, we're in trouble. Uh, they don't say, hey, Jesus, do you have any, like, good tips for us? Um, they go down and they say, don't you care that we're going to die? So like these grizzly fishermen are going, we're about to die, Jesus. And you're sleeping. And you're just sleeping? What are you doing? And so Jesus gets up and he kind of like wipes the sleep out of his eyes maybe. And he climbs up on a deck and the boat's going left and right. And, uh, you know, if you know the story, Jesus says, uh, peace, be calm or be still. And, uh, immediately the storm stops the waves calm down, um, and it is like such a wild contrast, like such an obvious display of power that Jesus' disciples go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so I think on the one hand you go, I don't believe actually that Jesus ever did anything with an S on his chest. I think everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, he did informed by his heavenly Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. P.S. That's exactly how we live our lives. So uh, I don't think in that moment Jesus is like going like, all right, I got to tap into the divinity tank. You know, there's this theological principle called kenosis comes from the book of Philippians um, that he uh, the the term we um, translate in English is emptied himself. He was fully God and fully man, Mm -hmm. but he chose uh, to function as this perfect humanity. Um, But I thought it was interesting that the voice that the waters heard when Jesus said, peace be still, uh, is the same voice when we go back to Genesis 1 and the, the, the entire creation being made, no matter how you think God orchestrated that. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things uh, that we know today, all the things that we see are actually coming through God from the book of, Col- uh, uh, book of Colossians. And so the same voice that spoke creation into existence is now the same voice that's speaking to the waters. The same voice that made them exist is now telling them how to exist. And uh, so it's just an interesting like little moment to go, uh, that's true in our lives too, that every time we uh, feel like, you know what, I feel like God's directing me here. I feel like God's calming the situation down in my life. I feel like God's giving me peace over here. Uh, the same power and person that's giving you peace gave the waters peace uh, and gave all of us existence. And I think the kind of wonder in all of that, um, I-, I hope even if your day looks so full, even if your week looks so busy, even if you aren't sure how you're going to address what's going on with your kids or in your marriage or with your coworkers or with your friends or with your roommate, um, when we spend time to lean into this kind of reality with God, I think a natural byproduct is that we trust Him more. So good. So good. It's funny, too, um, as I'm imagining this story and imagining these just grizzled, gnarly fishermen— um, they, uh, 
obviously they think they're going to die. Otherwise, they wouldn't wake Jesus up. But it's it's so applicable to places that I've been to with God, where it's just like, God, where are you? How could this get any worse? Don't you care? Yeah. And it's just a, a perfect illustration of what Habakkuk. Yeah. Hey. hey, hey. Nice. Uh-huh. Lean into that. Do yep. It. Yep. Um, is in dialogue with about with with God as well, and it's it's a human problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a Christian problem for sure. Yeah. It's a human problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say there are no Christian problems that aren't also human problems, right? Yep. That's true. Uh, we may have mm-hmm. a different uh, center of gravity about the way we think about them or solve them. Certainly, access to a different kind of person and power for them. Um, but I think one of the things that there is uh, a tendency to do as Christians, especially in relationships with non-Christians, mm-hmm. is to have this superficial superiority mm. in which, uh, oh, I can't really relate to that. Like, my spouse and I never fight. You know, like, we sure. never have money problems. Oh, sure. I never have to deal with questioning my call for my life or what. No, no, no. Like, yeah. we, we're all people. Mm-hmm. Like, we're people people. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can help people understand pursuing Jesus... Uh, does not make all of my problems go away. It just means that Jesus is walking with me along the way in all of those problems. And uh, I get to have a community of other people trying to do the same thing. And he extends power and perspective in the midst of that. In a way, he did it with Habakkuk. The good news for us, right, is uh, we actually have the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, which we don't see Habakkuk with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's a different podcast, but um, that was kind of selective in the Hebrew Scriptures, whereas after Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters every follower of Jesus. Um, and we have this much more articulated vision of grace in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we get to embody in our lives. So as cool as it is that Habakkuk got the kind of visions that he did, I think we look at times like this in the Hebrew Scriptures and we go, I want something like that. It sounds awesome. Um, actually, what you have in Jesus is better than what Habakkuk had. Yes, definitely. Well, Phil, what else? What else would you have liked to include? Anything that you would like to double-click on further? Yeah, I've referenced um, a podcast called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, Um, and I would just encourage you, if you are a podcast person and you're regularly trying to find podcasts, maybe to grow your faith. I listen to like a variety of podcasts. I listen to podcasts about sports. I listen to podcasts about news. I listen to podcasts about church leadership. I listen Mm -hmm. to a bunch. Um, And this has just been one of the most encouraging uh, podcasts. Uh, It's kind of a documentary type of deal. Um, But the entire principle of if we roll the clock back 20 years ago, we would have thought that the new atheist movement was going to completely take out the church, Um, especially on the other side of the atrocities of Mm 9-11. Uh, and it just didn't, uh, and not just at a, on mass, but uh, individually to see what God's done in the lives of some of the leaders of that movement. Uh, I just found it really, really interesting um, and hopeful. And so, uh, if you're looking for, hey, where can I find wonder even in God moving yep. um, in the lives of people? Uh, I think it might be an encouragement for you. That's awesome. Yes, uh, a great resource there. And we also have created some great resources as well. Absolutely. Um, we're encouraging all of our community to pick up at our campuses. We've made these awesome wonder journals that can lead you through exercises during the week to help you try to foster a sense of wonder and maybe discover God in a different way. So that's been really cool, as well as those of you that have um, joined in with our Wonder Box exercises at each one of our campuses and online. You can yes. text us, 650 
uh, you can send in your questions and thoughts and prayers. So, Phil, uh, mm-hmm. we got some more from this past weekend. We were I was not prepared for these. I was not prepped for he these. He was not, but I thought it'd be kind That's of fun. That's great. I'm ready for it. Yeah, Let's I go. know you would be. We've already talked about critical race theory and intersectionality. Yep. I'm going to get emails already from this podcast. Let's go. Let's yeah. do it. Yep. Um, yep, you can email me as well. My mm-hmm. email is pubank at yeah, yeah, church, and so. Morinishi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and just know that those um, that these requests, these prayer requests, these questions are not going unlooked at. We're circulating Absolutely. these around with our with our staff team, with our prayer teams that we have here. So, those that of you that have written prayers around um, healing and relationships and um, financial stuff. We we got you covered with prayer, and if you need more resources, if you wish to go, move from anonymity <laughs> to um, to just saying, hey, um, my name's this, and I I need some help, we'd love to be that with you. Our campuses are ready for you, um, and thank you for those that are writing in your big picture questions too. There's some really heartfelt questions here, and I curated two for us that Fantastic. are around the same theme. Okay, um, they're. They're kind of um, pointing towards the beginning of the Bible mm-hmm. with creation, with Noah, with literary versus a literal interpretation. We did a series on this this past summer. We sure did. As well. mm-hmm. The rest and, of the story. Yep, called the rest of the story. And so our first question is around um, counting the days in the creation narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, this person said, wants to know, basically, was a day the same amount of time as it is today, or mm-hmm. was it a different amount of time back then? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, I'll first tell you uh, the sort of spectrum of understandings, then I'll tell you what I think, and then I'll give you a resource. Um, so there is everything from the world is a few thousand years old, every day is a literal day, um, the beginning of the creation account is the beginning of creation period. Like that's one take that would be Mm -hmm. called usually uh, what's called a young earth creationist. That's the um, kind of perspective there. And then on the other spectrum, by the way, these are all Christians. These are all people that hold these, there are people that hold these views that are all followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you have what's uh, often referred to as an old earth. So billions of years old that coincides with kind of what modern science would understand it to be um, theistic evolutionist. And that person would say, God used evolution. So when I sit in science class, I have no, uh, I have no tension with this. Uh, the Bible is telling me uh, what God did, science is telling me how he did it. Uh, that's kind of the the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's lots of stuff in between. Um, how you get there for some of that old earth um, uh, theistic evolution crowd, they would use something uh, called the day-age theory, which this person is alluding to, mm-hmm. uh, that when I actually read the passage, I think, or part of the passage this weekend, uh, but we we see in the Hebrew scriptures that for God a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of expansiveness, mm-hmm. um, and so they would say, "See, God, that's how God works." Um, and actually, that kind of eon that is referred to in um, the early chapters of Genesis when we see the creation account, this idea, "Hey, could it have been a period of time?" It absolutely could have been. Like, I just want to make sure we're clear. Um, I think I have tremendous respect for uh, young Earth creationists. I have a lot of respect for uh, old earth theistic evolutionists. Uh, I know friends that are in both camps pretty extreme, and then I know lots of people um, that are kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hold to a view called historic creationism. Uh, So uh, if you go back and read Genesis uh, 1, you'll find that it says, in the beginning... 
God created the world, it was formless and void. And so the idea is that like God actually created the entire universe. Um, and like, you know, I, I say God said it and bang, it happened, you know, like yep. the way we think about it. Uh, and then the, what we see, there was a period of time um, between that moment and as God, I would say, was kind of ordering creation in that weak account. And so um, there is a book uh, that I often, the author is Sailhammer. Um, there's a book that kind of gives this view if you ever want to go uh, find more about it. Um, it. But there are books for all these. I would say that it's called Genesis Unbound by um, John Sailhammer, if you're interested in more about historic creationism. Uh, but there are also some books called Three Views or Four Views that will take kind of the major understandings, not just of this view, but of lots of views like this, especially in the Old Testament, and give you the leading voices in each one of them shared kind of like an essay, and then they all respond to one another's essays. I find that very, very helpful. So yeah. anyway, all that to say, mm -hmm. I hope that's helpful. I wish I could just say, well, this is clearly the answer, um, but obviously there's a conversation and you're going to come to your own convictions as mm -hmm. you do the work. Yep. And I love that all of these views are represented in our community. For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are people that go to Menlo <laughs> that hold to all these views. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a extrapolation of that question. It has to do with dinosaurs, Phil. And dinosaurs. Were dinosaurs. there dinosaurs on the ark? And then I'll throw in my own Wonder Box question. Mm -hmm. And if yes, what'd they do with all the poopy? Mm, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I don't think that there is... I don't. I don't think that any current uh, archaeological uh, evidence would support the idea that if the global flood was indeed a global flood and it took place in the historic record thousands, not millions, or billions of years ago, that there were dinosaurs on the ark. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, God could have done whatever He wanted to, right? Sure. So I always yeah. try to, you know, like I hold that um, as well. And what did creatures look like at the time? I, I don't know. You know, like I think there's a whole bunch that we don't know. Um, the, the flood, the global flood uh, versus a localized flood, that's another one of those books that I just mentioned, by the way, the kind of four views books um, on Noah and the flood. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think uh, no matter what your sort of view of creation was, uh, I think that it's likely that dinosaurs were uh, quite a bit like quite a bit earlier had it become extinct through whatever circumstances long before the flood. Great. Thank you. Yeah, sure. That's helpful. Yeah. Uh, I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper about a question that I asked Cheryl last week. Oh, I didn't answer. I didn't answer the poop question. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they had like shoots, like poop shoots oh. out the side. I don't, I don't know. It's a good question. It's a great question. Mm -hmm. Maybe Maybe God supernaturally made it so that they didn't have to poop as much. Maybe they had like a routine where they yeah. all went off the side of the boat yeah. on in regular shifts. Like you take your dog for a walk. They do that. Mm. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, I don't quote me on this. May, nope. I don't even. Well, I'm too deep now. We're here now, dude. Yep. We're here now. Uh, I maybe you can burn poop. Okay. To make a to. Yeah. 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 No, I'm that's a, a good. I, I think that's worth. Somebody should investigate this. Just like you're, inv you, you know, you're you're diving deeper into the Bible this week, mm -hmm, preparing mm -hmm. for your message. Yep, yep, I will dive yep. deeper into this, preparing for yeah, yeah. our midweek maybe, next week. Maybe don't use the phrase "diving deeper" <laughs> on this one. 
investigating like, further. Sure. Yeah, sure. maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. investigating yeah. Mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. Not poke around at. Do probably. not poke around at this subject okay. either. I yep. will not mm-hmm. poke around at. People are like, what? We just became children. Yep. Classic. How did one become a prophet? Then we we Cheryl basically broke down what a prophet was and what their job was, but how did one attain was it a status that one attained? Was it a level after of degree that one had? How how did Habakkuk become (laughs) (laughs) become a prophet? Um yeah, I mean how did specifically Habakkuk become a prophet? We don't know the answer, right? right? Because there's just not enough detail about his life. Uh I think a lot of times you'll see examples where one prophet is responsible, at least in part, for discerning from God mm. who the next prophet would be, right? Oh, interesting. Um, and so yep. if yep, you yep, yep. if you go back through um, sort of the history of Israel and the Jewish people, uh, there is this moment in First and Second Samuel where Samuel, who is the prophet, uh, is dealing with this like increasing press from the people of Israel to say we want a king like everyone else has, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, God is saying through Samuel, you actually don't like I'm right. your king. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this. I'm better than all of those kings, and uh, I-, I think maybe Israel didn't know what it was saying, but it was basically like, cool, we get it, God, but like we really still want. Like a king, king, yeah. like a like a yeah. like a real king, you know. What and everyone else has, yeah. And so, uh, eventually, God, we see this throughout the Old Testament. Actually, this is really the first the first reason for uh, divorce is cited because of the hardness of people's hearts. And I think there is something similar here that, like, because of the hardness of people's hearts, God's like, okay, have a king. We see in Romans one, uh, it says God turned them over. Like at some point, God's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. Okay, you want to learn the lesson, you learn it the, learn it the hard way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I say, you're, you're paying the stupid tax. I've paid a lot of stupid tax in my life. Like, mm-hmm. you have to learn it this way. You don't have to, but if you if you must. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's when we get Saul. Um, and Saul was the first king of Israel. He looked like all the other kings looked. He, st- he stood, it says, uh, head and shoulders above everybody else, even physically, um, but almost immediately just like failure to launch. And then we have David and then we have Solomon. And it does not, like we have these incredible peaks, but it it really is sort of the beginning of the end for Israel as they knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did it look before that for prophets of God to be selected? I would imagine, even though we don't get tons of details, I bet the Talmud, which is uh, like a commentary written by the Jewish people a couple thousand years ago uh, about the Hebrew scriptures probably breaks down into more detail how throughout the historic record of the Jewish people, individual prophets were selected because it was a, it was a whole generation between them. Um, but then the nature of a prophet changed quite a bit mm. once kings entered uh, the history of Israel because now it wasn't just critiquing, hey, this is what, what I'm seeing, this is what God wants me to tell you, this is what's coming in front of you. It was now also like sort of speaking truth to power mm-hmm. to be able to say, oh my goodness, I can't believe the king is doing this. Like, do you realize who your real king is? And so, um, yeah, I think the sort of best case scenario was like, you have a prophet that lives faithfully. God says, hey, you're getting ready to essentially retire. I'm going to raise up a new prophet. Mm-hmm. Would you go let this person know? Uh, even like with some overlap or time of investment um, relationally, and then kind of real life and the circumstances of any given moment in Israel's history would bring about whatever change came. Interesting. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
Um, and again, if you have your questions or prayer requests, anything of that nature, you could text our team, 650-600-0402. Uh, have a wonderful week, and hopefully we'll see you in between next week with our parent seminar on Saturday. Yep, yep, yep. So this is a resource that we've put together where we've invited a series of professionals to come in and basically help um, help give us the tools as parents, as caregivers, as people that are investing in the lives of the next generation. Um, to help them navigate the world around them that's full of anxiety and depression and neurodivergence and um, just some of the really hard mental health stuff that we are seeing the next generation experiencing right now. We want to be able to give, um, to be equipped ourselves to help them navigate that. So we'd love to invite you there. There's going to be large groups as well as breakout sessions, which I think is awesome. Uh, it is this coming Saturday, and you can register at menlo.church. So hopefully we'll see you there. Uh, anything else, Phil? Uh, this weekend is also Discover Menlo. And so if you are new or newer to Menlo and you're listening to this podcast, first of all, amazing. Yeah, uh, great. Also, uh, if you just kind of go, hey, I want to grab lunch. I want to learn a little bit more from my campus pastor. I want to learn who the team is that's like on staff at the campus mm -hmm. I attend. I want to find out maybe how I can get connected beyond uh, a weekend. That's a really, really great opportunity. Uh, we'd love for you to RSVP for that. You can find okay. links at menlo.church under the events section uh, so that we can make sure we have space for you and your kiddos. Um, but please, 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 if, if that's your next step, don't think, oh, I'll do that another time because these are opportunities that don't come around every right. single week. So perfect. So we'll see you there. Head over to menlo.church. Text us if you need anything and have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. See ya.